Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh from the podcast team at Qalam. We wanted to wish you a very blessed Ramadan. This month you can expect daily uploads that will include reflections, khatiras and khutbas all from our new campus Alhamdulillah. If you benefit from this content, please give generously at supportqalam.com. 100% of your donations goes towards the means of providing accessible Islamic knowledge to people around the world. Jazakumullah khairan for listening. Okay, salam alaikum. It's got a muffle in it, right? Here, it's okay. Assalamu What is that? Assalamu alaikum. There we go. Okay. Bismillah walhamdulillah. Wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Okay. I'm going to laugh. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. To, and welcome to those who uh, typically would come to the in the early hour session. We figured that you know there's no reason to add even more, and especially in an odd night, uh, away from like hours of worship and ibadah. It's better to pray, you know, get as much prayer, and then we'll take a small break for a little reminder, inshallah, and then we'll continue with the qiyam, inshallah ta'ala. Um, so tonight is a very interesting uh, story that we find uh, in the book that we're using by Ibn Qudam al-Maqtisi, rahimahullah. Uh, there's no names. These are uh, two anonymous individuals that are mentioned. What are their names? And, and a lot of times the names would be not disclosed on purpose. Yeah, yeah, to preserve the honor. Yeah, to preserve the honor of the person, as he just said. Yeah. Because the generation of the companions were very much about accuracy. They wanted to record every little detail from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. That's why we know their names, we know their parents' names, we know their grandparents' names, we know their children's names, we know where they were born, where they lived, what they did. We know so much because they understood that you know, this is the tradition, this is the preservation of the religion. But whenever it comes to stories like what we're about to hear right now, they would deliberately omit the names and conceal the identities of the individuals involved, it's literally called a satr. They would do satrul nas, wa satrul asma, wa satrul a'yan, and they would do that in order to not compromise anyone's dignity or anyone's mm. respect. And because, yeah, because the, the, the narrator is saying that Bainama Rasulullah so like we were there, like all of us witnessed this, right? And so he narrates all these people and he says, We were there, and he said that. Um, we were there with the Prophet Muhammad and he was speaking that he was talking to his companions. And at that moment when he was speaking to the companions, a man came in from the, uh, you know, he was someone who was noticeably poor, right, afflicted with poverty. man came in and was noticeably poor and he says that he sat on the side of a person min al-aghniya from a person who was from the uh, people who had wealth when that happened the person who came from the community of the wealthy uh, kind of pulled his thobe close to him he took his thobe and he kind of gathered it and he like almost like you know wrapped it close to him yeah, so I kind of moved it away and like almost like to, you know, make a, a physical motion. And at that moment, 
the narrator says that the entire attitude of the Prophet changed when that happened. His face, his demeanor, his tone, everything changed right away. And he looked at the man who pulled his thob and he said, Oh, you know, brother, are you afraid that your wealth is going to escape you and is going to run to the hands of this person? Or is it that you're afraid that this person and their financial difficulty is somehow going to be transferred over to you? Like he's asking him this almost rhetorically. And the man, shocked, right, responds to the Prophet ﷺ, and we'll go over all of this inshallah, uh, we'll kind of go, you know, step by step. The man is kind of shocked. Oh yeah, the brothers, if you don't mind opening the door, inshallah, propping it open so that people who are sitting outside can hear. The other side, yeah. So the man is shocked, obviously he's kind of caught off guard, and he says to the Prophet ﷺ that is, is wealth evil? Like, is having wealth something that is wrong? Is it evil, Ya Rasulullah? He's not asking him, uh, you know, with a tone of arrogance. He's sincerely saying, Ya Rasulullah, is this like an evil thing? And the Prophet ﷺ says, Na'am, inna ghinaka yad'uka ila nar. Yes, your wealth is calling you to the fire. Uh, and this person, their poverty, their difficulty with money and finances is calling them towards Jannah. So the man then responds, he processes and he asks the Prophet uh, like, how can I be saved from this? How can I be, uh, you know, have my, my situation, uh, um, you know, made well from this situation, Ya Rasulullah? The Prophet says to him, go and make amends emotionally with this brother. Go and make amends with the brother. And then the person said, okay, I will do that. The brother, who was sort of the victim in all of this, he says, uh, that there's nothing, I, ha- I don't have anything in my heart like against this person. Like we're good. So the Prophet then turns to the brother, the one who was the victim, the one who was uh, in poverty, and he says, okay, that you need to seek forgiveness for your brother and pray for him. So this is a very interesting story, right? It's a shorter one, but as with the Prophet Sallallahu life in general, the duration of time that the moments took doesn't you know, limit the amount of lessons you can get from this. So Shaykh, the first thing I wanted to ask is that we have here a very interesting story, and it starts in a pretty, kind of almost like under the radar, but there's a big lesson there, which is that you have a circle of the Prophet Sallallahu he's talking to a group of people, and in it now, it seems to be that you have not just one type of person there. So what does this say about the kind of community the Prophet ﷺ had? Yeah, so when it says, بَيْنَمَا رَسُولَ ashabahu, While the Prophet ﷺ was addressing his companions, that's a particular type of term, right? That's very specific language. And what that usually is used to describe is exactly what's going on here. Right, those were gatherings of the Prophet ﷺ, spiritual gatherings, gatherings of reminders that were occurring in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. Right, so it's it's just like this. Um, and then, as Ustad was pointing out, that what you have is you have a very wealthy person sitting there in the gathering. 
right? That already kind of tells you a little bit about the, you know, uh, the temperament of the community. And that, you know, even the wealthiest people in that community understood that they were desperately in need of spirituality. These delusions didn't exist, right? Of a person being deluded by their wealth. Those were the days of Mecca and the leaders of Quraysh. Those people in Mecca, right? Where, ذَرْنِي وَمَنْ خَلَقْتُ وَحِيدًا وَجَعَلْتُ لَهُ مَالًا مَمْدُودًا وَبَنِينَ شُهُودًا وَمَهَدْتُ لَهُ تَمْهِيدًا ثُمَّ يَطْمَعُ أَنْ أَزِيدٌ كَلَّا إِنَّهُ كَانَ لِآيَاتِنَا عَنِيدًا Right? In the days of Mecca, Allah says that, let, leave that guy to me. Let me handle him. He's, he has a lot of money, so that he thinks that that makes him invincible. That thing that, he thinks that that makes him, you know, uh, immortal that he won't have to answer for what he does, etc., etc. But in the community of the Prophet ﷺ, even the wealthiest person understood, I need to come here, I need to sit on the ground here, I need to put my face on the ground in sujood, I need to worship Allah, I need to sit before the Prophet ﷺ and learn my religion. So that's something that jumps out at me, right? That the Prophet ﷺ had put in that kind of work to make everyone realize everyone needs Allah. Everyone needs to worship Allah. Everyone needs to learn from the Messenger of Allah. That's one thing. The second thing is, what Usad is talking about, the kind of community that was created is, that, جَاءَ رَجُلٌ مِنَ الْفُقَرَى But similarly, right? You know, it's the last nights of Ramadan and we're here to learn and we should be nice and gracious and gentle with one another. I'm not criticizing anybody else, I'm criticizing myself, right? But at the same time, the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ wasn't a suburban masjid, right? It wasn't one of these very comfy, nice, you know, cushy masjids that are meant for people of a particular neighborhood. But one of the poor people, one of the people who lived on the streets of Medina, came in and similarly walked in and sat down in the gathering of the Prophet Because that's the kind of community the Prophet created. That it was there to serve everyone. And everyone was made to understood that the community was there to serve them, and they were there to serve the community. That everyone needed the community, and the community needed everyone. إِنَّ هَذِهِ أُمَّتُكُمْ أُمَّةً وَاحِدَةً You are not one ummah, you are one singular ummah. Right? That was the understanding and the emphasis that the Prophet ﷺ had. And you saw this even with the Prophet ﷺ himself, mm. that his, his countenance and his presence, you know, it wasn't, you know, I say this obviously awkwardly, we're sitting on chairs, mm. but he was somebody that didn't have an elevated platform when he was teaching. Of course, there's a function to this, right? If we sit on the floor, then maybe people in the back or whatnot. But the point being is that people would come into the gathering of the Prophet ﷺ, you know, the Bedouins from outside of Medina, and they would walk up and they would genuinely ask, who is Muhammad? Yeah. So they'd walk in the gathering and they'd say, which, which one of you is, is Muhammad? Literally, ayyukum Muhammad. And they would have to be directed to the Prophet ﷺ, which taught us that his seating, his clothing, and even his general appearance, even though he was obviously the most beautiful, the most handsome, the most stunning, but he did not, uh, he did not himself highlight his differences that he had with his companions to the point where it would push them down and elevate him, mm. right? There was no like active level of like, yeah, these people are all the peasants and I'm the prophet. Mm. 
that was not part of it, right? In fact, he was known as the prophet of the people, right? In, 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 his, in his way, there was once a, a beautiful narration where a man met the prophet Saul Sedim and started shaking out of nervousness, started sh- like literally shivering, like trembling. And the prophet Saul Sedim smiled at him and he said, don't be nervous. I'm just the son of a woman who used to eat dried bread. Like, I'm just like you. You know what I mean? I enjoy a good dried bread myself. <laughs> you know? And the guy's like, you eat dried bread too? He's like, yeah. Right? So the ability to connect was something that was remarkable. The next thing that I think was interesting, Sheikh, we were talking about was that this person from the Agnia, the one who came from the, the, you know, the wealthier community, he did this action. And, and he was sitting in the, in the company of the Prophet Sallallahu and he was not uh, demonized for being wealthy. Right, he was not made to feel like he was sort of like a spiritual, uh, uh, you know, yeah, like a spiritual uh, liability. Mm. Like, oh yeah, like you know, you rich people got to watch out. Until his wealth revealed itself in his character, mm. that was the only thing that the Prophet Sallallahu took a moment out and responded again very directly. Mm. Okay, some might even say very harshly, mm. but he did this after the person did this action. Now, what's interesting about this action is that even later on in the narration, the man himself didn't quite understand exactly how bad it was. He knew, of course, from the reaction, but he didn't like quite get it, right? He literally says, like, is wealth evil? Like, genuinely asking. The Prophet Sallallahu says, your wealth, the kind of wealth that you have, apparently, is doing something very bad to you. It's calling you to the fire. Why? Because... The wealth that this man had allowed him to look down upon people. And this is what the Prophet ﷺ, when he described kibir, he said, kibir is two things. It's looking down, it's, it's denying the truth, or, and, it is looking down on people, looking condescendingly on others. So this person had wealth, but you know who else had wealth? Uthman bin Affan, radiallahu an, Right? You had all these, uh, Abdurrahman bin Auf, you had all these incredible wealthy companions, but their wealth was not projected before people to make anyone feel bad about themselves or that they weren't up to the standards of other people. So this person has this moment, this lapse, let's say, in character. Again, it's a teachable moment. But what are we going to take from this? Well, there are consequences to our lifestyles, there are consequences to who we are that are known. They are known and some of them are even intended. Okay? And then there are consequences that are unknown and unintended. What do I mean by that? When you put yourself in a certain ecosystem for a long enough time, you begin to adopt, like spiritually through osmosis, some of the characteristics of that ecosystem, even if you yourself never ever, you know, intended on adopting those things, right? I'll give you an example. How many of you in college used to enjoy a nice Taco Bell fourth meal? Right? Okay? And then, you know, you make it big, mashallah, you succeed, yada, yada, all this stuff, and now you graduate, right, to Chipotle (laughs) or to something else, you know, something, you know, uh, this is like a halal taco shop. You graduate to that. And then someone says to you, you know what, it's uh, 20, you know, 23rd night, it's going to be after midnight, kind of hungry, might be time for a good old fourth meal. And you look at them and you say, a'udhu billah, min dhalik. Like, I would never 
stoop down to the Taco Bell fourth meal. I'm not getting a lot of laughs, which makes me think that that's the after, that's the post move. That is definitely the post move. All right, I'll see you guys there, inshallah. But you get my point, right? You grow up shopping in a certain place, right? When you're a kid or whatever, it's almost it's almost a badge of honor. You talk about what I used to. You know, we we could only buy shoes from this store, or I could only do this. And now, if that idea has even floated your way, even if you're good at hiding it internally, there's like a level of just discomfort. Hopefully not disgust, but discomfort. What is that? It's the unintended consequences of hyper-consumer materialism. It is, it is absolutely present in every single person. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ taught us that wealth, although necessary for certain things, does have traits that can become very destructive and very evil. There's a story from the Ihya where the disciples of Isa ﷺ, they asked him, how are you able, how are you able to produce all these miracles? How can you walk on water? And he said to them, he responded to their question, that what do you think about the dinar and the dirham? What do you guys think about gold and silver? What do you think about money? And they said, it's wonderful. Money's great. Who doesn't like money? Isa, he responded and he said, see, that's the difference between me and you. The difference between me and you is that when I say money, your smiles light up. But for me, he said, money and dirt are the same. Meaning what? You use dirt when you need it. And you use money when you need it. The presence of dirt in your life doesn't change you. And the absence of dirt doesn't change you. Soil is, you know, I guess, to most people, valueless. So to him, Isa is saying, if you want to be able to have miracles in your life from Allah, one of the steps to get there is that money has to be spiritually valueless. Meaning what? I'm okay eating lentils. I'm okay eating chicken. I'm okay eating dates and water. I'm okay eating ribeye. I'm okay eating whatever you give to me. I'm okay eating it. And I'm not going to make a face or think or say or act a certain way that lets you know that I think that this is a problem because you're serving me water instead of soda. You're serving me lentils instead of chicken. You get the deal, right? So all this is to say is that this companion, who again, spending time in the gathering of the Prophet ﷺ, in his community, learning directly from him, even he, even he had difficulty reining in the unintended consequences of this stuff. So what does that say about us? And, and by the way, wealth and status from wealth is not just about financial liquidity, but it's also about what? Seeking reputation, seeking fame, seeking notability. All of these things are their own kinds of currency, right? Like you show up somewhere, somebody recognizes you, knows you, remembers you, heard of you, whatever it might be. Even if that's not a dollar in your account, there is some ability to cash out that status, that favor. Hey, I heard you work at this place. Can you hook it up? When you need something, I'll hook you up. It's not money, but there's something there. All of these connections and all of these points, they impact us deeply. So what do you do then? Well, if you know that you are in that ecosystem, there's two choices. You either bow out, right? You just bail. You know, I can't handle this, okay? And that's one path. 
It's not for everybody, and it's maybe not even advisable for some. Some of the companions of the Prophet came to him and said, Ya Rasulullah, I just want to give it all up, and I want to go and live in the middle of the desert. Right? Even though they were kind of already in the middle of the desert. But you, know, you get the point. They wanted to live away from the city. And the Prophet said, don't do that. He said, live with the people and worship Allah. Basically what? Fight off your weakness. Don't give in to your weakness. Fight off your weakness. Right? There were some companions that were so motivated and inspired that they came to the Prophet Actually, one of them was Ka'ab. Right? Ka'ab bin Malik, the one that we talked about on the first night. After he, was, he had his redemption, out of his euphoria, he wanted to give away like almost all of his wealth. And the Prophet said, don't do that. Right? Even though Abu Bakr did the same thing, but why? Because they were built a little different. Abu Bakr was able to do that because of who he was. His spiritual constitution just could handle that. But Kab couldn't handle that. So bowing out, although maybe one out of a hundred people can do it and just live a life on that, in that way, mashallah. But the, other, the rest of us who are in the ecosystem of providence and provision and we have to battle the disease of love of wealth, what we have to do is we have to be incredibly honest with ourselves. We have to be super honest with ourselves. We can no longer make excuses. We cannot keep telling ourselves that the reason why we have this is because we're better than people or the reason why we have certain things is because Allah loves us more. We're not Calvinists, right? We're not people that believe that our theology is tied to our bank accounts. We believe that the first people to go to paradise are those who are poor and that those who had wealth are going to be waiting in line answering questions about every penny they spent. So we need to do a deep extraction of that within our souls and then we need to come up with a serious game plan for how we can combat these unintended consequences within us. Abu Hanif had a beautiful method and his formula was one for one. Whenever he spent money on himself, he would dedicate the equivalent amount for the community, for sadaqah, for the masakin, for the community in some way. Now, we, not, we might not be able to do that, right? Maybe that's a little bit too strong, but do you have a formula at all, right? One for one might be too high. Maybe your ratio is something else, but do you have one at all? Do you look at yourself and say, you know what, today I shopped online and I spent this much on myself and I would be, it would be incredibly embarrassing before Allah on the Day of Judgment in these last 10 nights that I just spent $100 or $200 on clothes and shoes and I scroll past a donation ad for orphans and I just say, may Allah help them. No, may Allah help us. If we can comfortably buy things that we don't need over and over again and can't see the disconnect on how this wealth has infected our hearts, may Allah help us. That's true blindness. That's true deafness, right? The deafness of the heart and the blindness of the heart are what Allah says is true blindness and true deafness. So we need to establish some kind of protocol that when you do take your family out to eat, why don't you also give some food for others as well? When you do buy gifts for your kids for Eid, why don't you partake in an Eid toy drive as well? When you do pay for yourself for something, why don't you generate some of that, a percentage, if not equal, for a good cause as well, to fight off the unintended consequences of this? Sheikh, you mentioned something beautiful about the next part, which is that, that his entire 
demeanor changed when he saw this. And it was, it's honestly, when you describe it, a person comes and sits. It's obvious that he's, he's struggling with money. He sits next to a person who's wealthy. And that person does this action, like takes their thobe away. It is a very, very difficult thing to imagine and to witness in the circle of the Prophet Sallallahu So, Sheikh, what, what value do you see in that moment? Why did the Prophet Sallallahu face change? And how does that teach us anything? So one of the things that you touched on earlier that kind of leads to this point that I just wanted to kind of mention because you, you mentioned it and I, I think it's really important for everyone to understand and appreciate, right, that there, is, there are choices that we make in terms of our own lifestyle and what we choose to do, what we don't choose to do, like you were just talking about. The Prophet ﷺ, he has this profound narration where he says, um, when somebody kind of asked him about what he eats and how he sits and, you know, and how, what his mode of transportation is. And he said that, He says, I eat like a slave would eat. And I sit like a slave would sit. Right? This kind of humility and like choosing to live life that way. You had talked about like people would walk in and ask, ask who was the Prophet ﷺ. When they made the hijrah, him and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Abu Bakr is two years younger than the Prophet ﷺ. But the Prophet ﷺ would often tease him because Abu Bakr looked older. Abu Bakr had like this going on, right? <laughs> so, um, so he would tease him sometimes about that. And when they arrived in Medina, because many of the Muslims had never seen the Prophet ﷺ before, because Abu Bakr just looked older, they assumed he was the Prophet ﷺ. And they started huddling around Abu Bakr. And meanwhile, the Prophet ﷺ went and just kind of sat down under a tree by himself. And then the sunlight was kind of like, it was getting afternoon time. So the sunlight was kind of like, you know, in the eyes of the Prophet So Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu stood up, took off his shawl, and started to shield the Prophet from the sunlight. And that's when everyone was like, oh, he's the Prophet <laughs> So that's how he carried himself. So you were asking, you know, the Prophet when he witnessed this occurring, he express that displeasure. تَغَيَّرَ وَجْهُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ وسلم. His face changed. And that's, there's something really profound about that because what, you, what we were talking about earlier was the Prophet وسلم, said, مَنْ رَآ مِنْكُمْ مُنْكَرًا فَلْيُغَيِّرْهُ بِيَدِهِ فَإِن لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ فَبِقَلْبِهِ فَإِن لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ فَبِلِسَانِهِ فَإِن لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ فَبِقَلْبِهِ وَذَلِكَ أَضْعَفُ الْإِيمَانِ That whenever any one of you witnesses something incorrect, something that shouldn't have happened the way that it did, then that person should try to change it with their hands. Like actually change the situation. If they can't, then change it with your tongue. At least voice what is correct. If you can't even do that much and at least know in your heart what was wrong there, but then understand and recognize that that's the lowest level of iman. That's the lowest level of faith. And so this idea of taghayyur, of change, right? The face of the Prophet ﷺ changed, but it's not just that his face changed. He then, he then changed the situation and changed the environment and changed the situation that was going on. And so that's something really remarkable that the Prophet ﷺ didn't tolerate, you know, wrong things occurring. And this kind of goes to something we were talking a little bit about in the previous session, where knowledge comes with responsibility. Mm. Knowledge comes with responsibility. Knowledge isn't just some badge of honor that I get to wear. 
Knowledge isn't just something that I can just so I can sound smart when I talk to my friends. Knowledge isn't just so that I can just, you know, post something profound online. Right? That's not knowledge. Knowledge is to actually put into action. Knowledge is so that it impacts the environment around you. And it actually makes everything around you better. And that's what we see the Prophet doing in this situation. And then he says something really powerful. The Prophet engages this behavior with a very logical question. Right? What is this guy doing again, guys? What did he do when he saw the, the man come sit next to him? What did he do? Took his clothes and brought it closer, right? Why? You have to ask yourself. Sometimes we do things out of impulse because of some weird, uh, you know, uh, conflicting, like, weird belief that we have about a certain moment. And logically, it makes no sense. So the Prophet, he took his behavior and he asked, he kind of picked at it. Is it, oh, oh, are you pulling your clothes closer to you because you think that somehow your wealth is going to be, if you touch, it's going to be distributed? Mm. Or, 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 no, no, no. Maybe what it is is that you think that his poverty is going to hit you. Contagious. Right? You think it's contagious? The logic of the question, it's rhetorical. The, the answer is obviously, no, Ya Rasulullah. Like, I'm, you know, it was, it was, it's a weakness in my, in my character. But when we have those moments of our nafs, the nafs sometimes is illogical. In fact, most times is illogical. It, it creates a really good argument, right? Your desires will convince you to do something, creating the best argument ever. And you know what you have to do to take the wind out of the sails of the nafs? Get logical with it. Just take some logic to the, to the point. I was, talking about this, I was talking about this literally with somebody last night, okay? Uh, fear of, of difficulty financially. A lot of us have that. What if I can't afford this? What if I can't do that? I applied for this position. What if I don't get it? And those fears are oftentimes they're illogical, right? So what happens is you introduce logic to the equation. You say, okay, what, what's the worst situation that could happen if this didn't go the way that I'm imagining? Am I still going to have a roof over my head? Am I still going to have some bread to eat and some cheese? Am I still going to have water? Will I be able to come to Qadam and use the guest Wi-Fi? All right? <laughs> Will I be able to plug in my phone at a Starbucks? Like, what? how bad is it going to get for me, really? Right? And when you ask yourself that very intentional, logical line of questioning, you'll see that the fear will start to deflate and dissipate completely. It's the same with other aspects of the nafs. If arrogance is there, you need to ask yourself, why do I think I'm better than this person? And, and that's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, with, with, with classism, with things like age, with things like race, with gender, why do I think I'm better than this person? Do I really think I'm better than this elderly person because what? Because they don't know how, how to operate this? Although, honestly, my mom now is like the queen of iPads, right? <laughs> but is that, is that enough of a reason for me to think that I'm better than somebody because they don't know how to quickly use this, right? When I have to... Maybe I know a little bit more than my dad about, I don't know, nothing really. But, you know, maybe I know a little bit more about something. But whenever I need to do something handy around the house, like install a bidet, right? The first Muslim thing you do after getting a place, an apartment, install a bidet, right? Before, sorry. And then you research al-Baqarah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not in the bathroom, though, okay? Just a little. I call my dad. Why? Because... Even though they may not have the knowledge that is current, but they have timeless knowledge. 
So when you introduce logic into that arrogant thought of, oh, this person's old, they don't get it. Well, maybe you don't get some things too. Yes? Yes? Okay, good. I want us all to get I See, arrogance is tough to beat. We're like, ah, no, I kind of get it. No, you don't get it, right? <laughs> maybe when you think, why am I better than this person because of the color of skin or texture of hair or whatnot? This is garbage stuff, man. This is literally Shaitonic. like trash. Shaitonic. This is shaitanic, okay? Or because they operate a certain way physically, biologically. This is why I think I'm better than this person, right? Again, it, the question itself sounds absurd, but the absurdity of the question makes you realize how absurd we're being. And that's what the Prophet Sallallahu is doing. He says, oh, okay. Think about this. And the man instantly is humbled. And that's why the Quran constantly makes that appeal. Afala ta'aqilun. Afala ta'aqilun, right? There's this kind of misnomer, this misunderstanding that somehow the religion does not want us to engage with logic, with reason. No, no, the Quran is telling us, asking us, demanding of us over and over again. Afala ta'aqilun. La'allakum ta'aqilun. Do you not think? Right? This Allah is explaining these things to you so that you think. In fact, Allah in the Quran tells us that disbelief is lahum qulubul la yafqahuna biha. These are people who have been granted the tools of intelligence but are not actually exercising that intelligence. When Allah talks about believers, He calls them ulul albab. Right? He calls them people of intelligence. And so this is, you know, and, and when Allah describes somebody being lacking faith, somebody lacking faith, not having a connection with Allah, Allah describes that person as being absent of real thought. But Allah says, Do you not see the person who worships their own desires? Like this person isn't thinking at all. This person is only just doing what they feel like. And that's why in classical Islamic literature, and even there are some ahadith that also refer to this, that the, just the pure desires of the human being have been analogized, have been described as being a wild beast, like a mindless beast, right? As opposed to faith in iman and faithfulness is described as a supremely high level of intelligence. And that's why, as Ustad pointed out here, the Prophet is breaking this bad behavior, right? He's breaking it by interjecting thought. That think about what you're doing. Think about what you just did. Like explain to me how it made any sense what you just did. And obviously he couldn't. And that now what it does, and this is the other thing is right? which basically translates to, first you have to kind of break the incorrect premise and now you can lay the proper foundation. You got to peel you know, the wallpaper off the walls and now you can paint. Got to turn right. the land before you plant the seed. Sure. All right, so... <laughs> I just figured with your age, you'd appreciate a farming <laughs> reference. You know, back before, like, industrial era and stuff like that. We have to grow all of our food. But, uh, so, but, it's like uh, Charles Barkley and Shaq right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so you have to kind of break down what's broken, what's wrong, before you can build properly. Mm. 
right? And, and that's what the Prophet did. He broke him down, like kind of broke that bad thought, that bad behavior, kind of, you know, broke it up. And then, now he's about to lay the foundation properly. Sheikh, tell us something about this next question. The man seems, <laughs> he seems to be, you know, focused on this one thing. Right. You know, in misinterpreting the whole situation, kind of. Again, not, not because of lack of intelligence, but maybe also just kind of shocked mm -hmm. at what happened. I mean, we all would be, you know, someone, you get, you get basically uh, told off and, and, and your face turns red, your heart beats faster. So he says, Ya Rasulullah, is, is, is the evil part of this whole thing wealth? Yeah. And the Prophet Sallallahu says, kind of, na'am, in ghinaka. Your wealth. So tell us a little bit about that, Sheikh. Yeah, so al-ghina, al-ghina means just wealth. So that's, the companion asked the question, this is called, right, I see some of the students here, right, this is called uslubul hakim. Al-jawabi uslubul hakim. This is something from Arabic eloquence, balagha, right, that Somebody asks you a question and you don't actually answer their question, but you answer the question they should have asked. Right? So he said, is wealth evil? And the Prophet ﷺ said, your wealth is problematic. Your wealth. He didn't say, al-ghina, he said, ghina ka. He didn't say that all wealth is evil. He said, your wealth right now is problematic. Right, so he, he, he answered the question by, you know, reframing the issue. The issue is not just wealth. The issue is right now, what your wealth caused you to do. How you have interacted with wealth. How you have internalized wealth. How you have allowed your wealth to impact and affect you. Right, you've let it frame the world for you. So for you right now, yes, it's problematic. And, he's, and he says that it's calling you to the fire, which if we think about the action itself was bad, but I don't know if any of us would have you know, classified that as a, an eligible of hellfire action, but it shows us the sensitivity the Prophet ﷺ is teaching about how you have to honor the feelings and the, the dignity of your brother and sister. You know, uh, on his final khutbah, the Prophet ﷺ made a point to tell everyone who was there that just like the Kaaba is sacred, and no one would ever consider desecrating the Kaaba, and just like the days of the Hijjah and the day of Arafah is a sacred day, and just like the city of Mecca is a sacred city, the Prophet ﷺ said that all of you to each other, that yourselves, your honor, your wealth, your property, your family should be sacred. That you should not transgress one another when it comes to other things, but he also mentioned your dignity, your nobility, your, your, the, 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 the reputation that a person has should not be transgressed. So the way that we act in the community, and the community is a very powerful thing. The community can open doors to faith that were previously locked shut. How many of you are here with friends tonight? Right? I know there's more. Okay, some of you are just hungry, right? <laughs> a lot of people, we, we, we only come to these things with friends or with a sibling or with a, a family member. That element of community is powerful. It opens doors that were previously locked, like the, 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 the fear that a person has. Or how many of you make friends in places like this? You come alone and you're like, yeah, my friend told me to come to this thing and you know, I, I met someone here and we're going to go get boba or something, right? And there's a beautiful relationship of boba right after that, <laughs> right? 
steeped in boba, okay? On the opposite side of that, it's such a beautiful experience that if a person does anything to endanger that, that the punishment's very severe. If a person does anything to endanger the experience of somebody in the community, the punishment is very, I'm going to say this one more time, if anybody does anything to endanger the experience of somebody in the community, the punishment is very severe. Yeah, there's, a, there's a dua of the Prophet ﷺ. He says, Tuba, Tuba. Tuba is a dua. It can be a word of congratulations. And some companions also mention it's, an, it's the name of a place in paradise. Tuba. Liman miftahan lil wa that that place in paradise is reserved for the person who is a means of good, who opens the doors of good for other people and closes the door to evil. But then the Prophet said, وَوَيْلٌ And wail is a name of one of the deepest, darkest trenches in hellfire. وَيْلٌ لِمَنْ جَعَلَهُ اللَّهُ مِفْتَاحًا لِلشَّرِّ وَمِغْلَاقًا لِلْخَيْرِ And that place, deep, dark, desolate, desperate place in hellfire, may Allah protect us all, mm-hmm. is also reserved for the person who was a means of opening evil and closing the doors of good, mm-hmm. turning people away from good, right? And, and so what Usad is saying about in terms of violating the, the sanctity of the community is a very, very dangerous thing. At, at the same time, it's calling you to the fire well. There's also another element here that sometimes you do an action that in and of itself, it is not enough to damn you and to doom you, mm-hmm. but it is the first step of that downward spiral that will eventually end up there if you do not stop your free fall. And the Prophet ﷺ is saying, one of the first steps to ending up in the most unimaginable, unfathomable place is to compromise someone's dignity. Mm-hmm. Because n- the next steps are, in a very scary, frightening way, going to become easier and easier. Right? So you have to stop when you notice yourself going down, you know, basically a dark path. So then the man owns the situation and says, that What can I do? to save myself from it. Like, what can I do to, to give myself salvation from this? And the Prophet ﷺ says, you need to make amends. And this is a very beautiful response because oftentimes when you've offended somebody, the hardest thing to do is to fix it. You'd rather just kind of be like, can we just ignore each other for the rest of our lives and die with no awkwardness? No. The Prophet ﷺ is saying again, in order to get that tawbah, sometimes you have to embrace the awkwardness. And you have to say sorry for something that you did that hurt somebody, right? And so he says, go and make amends with him. The man said right away, I'll do it. I'm on it. Then the man who was again harmed in the situation or his feelings were hurt or he was made to feel unwanted by this person who was struggling with this, this issue said, you know what? I, I'm not finding that I'm really, I don't want anything from this. Like I, I'm totally good. All right, no harm, no foul. It's okay. It's a problem. It's fixed. Alhamdulillah. Which again shows what we talked about last night with the, the, the situation with Abu Huraira and that the, the, the woman who asked him the question. Just like this almost angelic oh. level of character and how incredible it must be to be somebody that when you have been wronged, and like I said, 
everybody in here has been wronged and everyone in here has wronged someone. Mm. If you think you're only on one side of that, there's a problem. You've been wronged before and you've also wronged somebody before. So this person who now has been wronged just has this courage to say, you know what? It's good. It's fine. The Prophet says, okay, in this moment, right, you're clearly displaying this incredible level of just iman. Do these two things. Seek forgiveness on his behalf. Ask Allah to forgive because he's going to ask Allah to forgive him. But if the victim is the one who says, oh Allah, forgive him, then how compelling would that argument be? And he says, what? Pray for this person. Praying for somebody is the direct result of love for somebody. He doesn't say pray against him. He doesn't say pray that Allah rectifies his character or that gives him justice. No. Pray for this person. One of the quickest ways all scholars of Tazkiyah say to deal with things like envy, hasad, grudges, hatred of people is to make dua for that person. And to force yourself to utter the words of seeking goodness for the very person that you can't stand is like a fire extinguisher upon a flame. It will absolutely take away the burning hatred that you have, the dis- the, just the absolute disgust that you might have with someone. When you ask Allah to give them good in this life and the next, and to give them all khair, and to give their family health, and give them happiness, and all of a sudden it's almost like you've spoken and your heart is following. Right? Sometimes you do something and your heart follows, and sometimes your heart pushes you and your actions will follow. So in this moment, the man's heart is good. So now he's saying, you know, pray for him. But for us, sometimes maybe the heart is not all there. All there. We have to actually engage in the, in the action, and then the heart will see the benefit of it, and it will actually follow suit. Yeah. You know, this idea that Usad was pointing out about the person is able to just completely let go of the situation and is able to light, you know, kind of uh, lighten themselves, right? The word in Arabic is takhfif. Like, Allah wants to lighten your burden. But you also have to choose to participate in lightening your own burden, right? And I understand that a lot of times that conversation can kind of go a little bit sideways, right? So if... I wronged Ahmed, and now, you know, Amin witnessing all of that and knowing me and knowing Ahmed, Amin just starts lecturing Ahmed about letting things go. That's the problem that we see a lot of times. And we're like, well, Amin, why aren't you advising Abdul Nasser? Why aren't you advising? Why isn't he advising me? Right? Why is he just advising him to be forgiving and let it go and etc.? That's completely incorrect. But the Prophet look what he did. He just got done giving a very harsh reprimand to this man. Right? Even before that, what do you think? Your wealth is just going to rub off on him? Right? You think your wallet's going to empty out because your clothes touched him? Or that you're going to catch, you know, his poverty? He, he just, he, he put that person in his place. But after that, see, we can, have, we can have two thoughts in our head at the same time. We can understand the value and the significance of both things. That Amin needs to tell me, hey, you don't treat somebody like that. That's wrong. But then there's still 
for Ahmad's own personal growth, independent and irrespective of me, for him to realize his own full spiritual potential, right? Him coming to that place where he can say, I'm not weighed down by these things. I'm just not. I have bigger, better things to do. And I'll leave, if, if I correct my ways and I make amends, sure. Otherwise, what Ahmed is saying, that he's completely okay with leaving me in the rearview mirror and continuing on his journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what's powerful here. And the Prophet ﷺ describes this when he says, Al-mu'minuna hayyinuna layyinun. Al-mu'minuna hayyinuna layyinun. That the believers are easygoing people. They're light. Layyinun. They're gentle, soft people. In qid and qad. That if they are told to sit, like meaning by Allah, by the Messenger of Allah, that if they're told it's good for you to sit here, then they'll sit. Or, or if they're told by Allah and His Messenger to walk, they'll walk. If it's good for them to walk, they'll walk. But if they are told to, that sitting here is good for you, even if it's a tough place to sit, they'll still sit there. Because they're invested in ultimately what is the smarter, better thing to do. And so they're easygoing in that way. They're very light. They're not carrying a lot of burden. They don't have a lot of that baggage with them. Right? They're not, especially not carrying somebody else's baggage. Right? They'll remain light on their own feet to be able to continue to ascend, right, on the spiritual path. When we were reading through the, the index to pick stories, this one is short, but it came out, it just jumped out at us. So we really thought that there would be benefit with this, especially because it's no secret that wealth is one of the measures that we have in our own flawed way of success. And so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect our hearts from loving wealth more than we love Him. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make all of our desires, you know, la taj'al akbar hammina. Uh, that the dunya be that, that we don't want Allah Ta'ala to make the dunya our greatest desire, that we ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to make our greatest desire His pleasure, and that we never ever would be in a situation where we would disgrace or humiliate somebody for something so paltry and so pointless as the fleeting world of this life. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to follow the example of His Messenger Ayatollah and we ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to have these stories told to us, and that we listen to them not so that we can Think of others, but think of ourselves. I mean, I mean, Rabbil Alameen. We're going to go ahead and wrap up, inshallah, now because we have Qiyam after this. Um, Sheikh also has to get running to another program. Uh, I have to get home because my wife wants to go out to a program, so I got to go make sure that our two kids at home stay at home, inshallah, while she goes. So, barakallah feekum, everybody. We love you for the sake of Allah, and we look forward to seeing you, inshallah, tomorrow night. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.